invite you to open to John chapter 12, please. John chapter 12, the Gospel of John. I'm happy that a lot of you have been studying along, studying ahead. I know that because you were actually asking which book are we going to study next. So why didn't you text me if you were wondering? It's pretty easy. I didn't have time. I didn't have three seconds to text you. <laughs> you like that? So the plan anyways, and God has different plans sometimes, is to go into the book of 2 Corinthians next and study that from the beginning to the end. Um, but since we're coming up on Resurrection Day and we're coming up on Palm Sunday this coming week, we're going to spend some time in the Gospels um, considering what Jesus did through his death and his resurrection and ascension into heaven. So that's why we're in John chapter 12. Triumphal entry. What do you think of when I say that? Triumphal entry. What are the things that come to your mind? Nothing. What comes to your mind? Triumphal entry. Hosanna. Palms. People shouting. Donkeys. Jesus riding in to Jerusalem. You're right, on that donkey. And the worshipers waving their palm branches and then laying them down before him and laying down their garments as he came into the city. And they're crying out, Hosanna, which means save and save us now, Lord. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So that calendar day is coming up this Sunday. I want you to consider this. We're in John chapter 12. There are 21 chapters in this book. And think about this. At chapter 12, John's already at the triumphal entry. He's already at one week before Jesus' resurrection. So that means that almost 40% of this book is given over to one week in Jesus' life. That John, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, zoomed in on this week in Jesus' life and said, this is something that really needs to be told. These are some truths that people really need to hear. Out of three years, listen, some of you are already lost, and I've only been preaching for three minutes. Like, that's the short attention span. Give me more credit than that. Three years, and then he takes eight chapters, almost 40% of the book, he says, this week is so important. And it's not just the apostle John that does this. It's God, the Holy Spirit, who inspired him to do it. What is John's purpose in writing his book? He's very clear about it in the second to last chapter. This is what he says in chapter 20, verse 30. I'll read to you. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Listen for the purpose. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. So he's an evangelist. He is one who desires to see people come to faith. He wrote this book so that we may believe upon the name of Jesus and so that we can have a life through that faith in Jesus. Yes, an apostle, John, but writing this book with the purpose of hoping and aiming at people believing in Jesus and having everlasting life. This faith is a faith of salvation, but it's also a faith that all of us need to have deepened. And as we look at this 12th chapter and back up into the 11th chapter today, 
we'll learn a lot more about faith because John was an evangelist, but he was also an equipper of the church, one who was seeking to give the church what we need to grow in the Lord. So we're going to back up. Let's do some backtracking from John where it gives us the record of the triumphal entry because we're just days before that now being the Thursday today before the triumphal entry. Let's do some backtracking so we can understand the events that took place before Jesus's triumphal entry. Go to John 12, 9. Now a great many of the Jews knew that he was there and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death, to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. So as we back up from what we hopefully will study this coming Sunday and look at what the scriptures say, what happened before the triumphal entry? What does it say here? That Lazarus is resurrection was a pivotal point, and that they are plotting now, the chief priests, the scribes, and the Pharisees, not only against Jesus, but they want to put Lazarus to death also. Now, I want you to think about this. The chief priests, the scribes, the Pharisees are not recognizing that they're outpowered. How do we know that? Because they're trying to kill the guy who already died and came back to life again. So if you realize that you're out of bullets, maybe you'll just try the same thing over again. Have you ever had one of those dreams where you just throttle someone with the best straight right hand you've got, and they just like look at you like, oh, that was nothing, right? And you're thinking, oh no, he, he didn't even budge. Should I hit him again, right? Probably not, because if he took it once and it was no big deal, he could probably take it twice. Have you ever had that happen in real life? It's, it's a terrifying feeling. Gave you my best straight right, and you just look like, oh. Think of this. They're gunning for Lazarus. He's already died. Jesus brought him back to life again, and now the best thing they've got is to try to put Lazarus to death. Couldn't that potentially backfire on them? Doesn't it backfire on them? Because now they now seek to put Jesus to death, and Jesus raises himself from the dead. So they're forging ahead to kill Jesus. They're forging ahead to attempt in putting Lazarus to death, even though he's already died once. The account of Jesus raising Lazarus is very pivotal. It was Jesus' last recorded miracle before his own resurrection. We don't know the exact day that Lazarus was raised from the dead, but it was most likely just a few weeks before Jesus' resurrection. By the beginning of John 12, it's only six days to Passover. And at the end of 11, just keep backing up with me, backwards Bible study, at the end of 11, it says this in 1156. Then they sought Jesus and spoke among themselves as they stood in the temple. What do you think? That he will not come to the feast? Now both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a command that if anyone knew where he was, he should report it that they might seize him. So they're looking for Jesus. They're commanding people to disclose where Jesus is. They can't find him. It tells us if we back up even more into verse 53 in, verse 11, in chapter 11, then from that day on they plotted to put him to death 
Therefore, Jesus no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there into the country near the wilderness to a city called Ephraim, and there remained with his disciples. So Jesus is away. They can't find him. He's in the wilderness. They're seeking to kill him and Lazarus. So Lazarus's resurrection is definitely a pivotal point, but it's also a main factor, humanly speaking, that caused the move towards Jesus's prosecution and eventual execution. News of Lazarus's resurrection spread like wildfire, and now Jesus is even more popular than before. So the Pharisees, the chief priests, wholeheartedly seek to find a way to put Jesus to death. He's way too popular. Back up even more, John eleven forty seven. Then the chief priests and the scribes gathered a council and said, what shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him. And the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. We won't be in charge anymore. The Romans will see that our people are following after Jesus instead of us. What are we going to do? His signs are great. So here we are now coming to Bethany where Mary, Martha, and Lazarus lived. This becomes a home base for Jesus and his disciples. They go out and they sleep in Bethany. And then in the morning, they walk a couple miles into Jerusalem. In the evening, they walk back out to Bethany again. And now let's study this account of Lazarus' resurrection from the dead in John 11. We'll do a lot of reading, beginning in verse 1. Now a certain man was sick, Lazarus of Bethany, the town of Mary and her sister Martha. It was, that Mary who, it was that Mary who anointed the Lord with fragrant oil and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was sick. Therefore, the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, behold, he whom you love is sick. When Jesus heard that, he said, This sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. And so when he heard that he was sick, he stayed two more days in the place where he was. Then after this, he said to the disciples, let us go to Judea again. And the disciples said to him, Rabbi, lately the Jews sought to stone you, and you are going there again? Jesus answered, are there not 12 hours in the day? If anyone walks in the day, he does not stumble because he sees the light of the world. But if anyone walks in the night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. These things he said, and after that he said to them, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go to to wake him up. Then the disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. However, Jesus spoke of his death, but but they thought that he was speaking about taking rest in sleep. Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. Then Thomas, who is called the twin, said to his fellow disciples, 
Let us also go that we may die with him. So when Jesus came, he found that he had already been in the tomb four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, about two miles away, and many of the Jews had joined the women around Martha and Mary to comfort them concerning their brother. Now Martha, as soon as she heard that Jesus was coming, went and met him. But Mary was sitting in the house. Now Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would have not died. But even now, I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Verse 24, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. And whoever lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. Now let's do five fast topics from the text. First of all, Jesus foreshadows his own death with Lazarus's death and resurrection. Look at what he says. He says, I am the resurrection. I am life. Jesus is speaking of his own coming experience, going to the cross and then defeating death. He is using this as an opportunity to awaken his disciples to say, look, remember when Jesus talked about Lazarus? He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. If, if you live and believe in me, you'll live forevermore. Number two, Jesus connects our resurrection to his resurrection. Did you notice that? I sure did. He says, I am the resurrection. And then he says, whoever believes in me, whoever follows after me, will never die. Notice Jesus' clarification where he says, who lives and believes in me. This is a faith, because of course those who were seeing Jesus believed in him to some extent. This is a faith where you give him your life. This is a faith that causes you to live differently, to live after the Lord. It's a life-changing faith. So Jesus foreshadowing his own death and resurrection, Jesus connecting his, us to his death and resurrection. Let's read on, verse 28. And when she had said these things, she went her way and secretly called Mary her sister, saying, the teacher has come and is calling for you. As soon as she heard that, she arose quickly and came to him. Now Jesus had not yet come into the town, but was in the place where Martha met him. Then the Jews who were with her in the house and comforting her, when they saw that Mary rose up quickly and went out, followed her, saying, she is going to the tomb to weep there. Then when Mary came where Jesus was and saw him, she fell down at his feet and saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Therefore, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him. Topic number three, Jesus illustrates compassion. 
Look at Jesus. He's crying, and it's not just a surface sadness, is it? It tells us here that he groaned inside, that he was in anguish internally. If you jump forward to verse 38, it says again, then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. I don't think Jesus cried. I don't think he grieved or groaned because he missed Lazarus. I think he cried because he was grieving with those who grieve. He was weeping with those who were weeping. They were exceedingly sorrowful. Consider Mary. Her brother was 30 years old. He got sick and he died pretty suddenly, pretty quickly. She is terribly sad. She's been brought low. She's tattered. She's lost her brother. There are all these people weeping. Jesus was weeping because Mary and Martha were weeping. He was weeping for their current struggles, for their current sorrow. Didn't Jesus know that eventually, eternally, everything would be just fine, more than fine? Didn't he know that eventually there would be great rejoicing that there would be great gladness in the long run, in the eternal. Look at this. You could even see that even in a few minutes, Jesus knew that they would be rejoicing. But Jesus still weeps with them. He cries because they are crying. Jesus is witnessing the effect of sin. Jesus came into the world to defeat sin and death, and he is seeing the effect of sin. He's seeing death And he knows it wasn't supposed to be this way. It wasn't intended by God to be this way, the separation. So the one now who is able to mend any sorrow, to heal any wound, is grieving with the lowly of the earth. He truly is our high priest who sympathizes with every one of our weaknesses. I see the the deity of Christ here, but also the humanity of Jesus That passage in Hebrews that tells us that he is our sympathizer also says that he was tempted in all points, that Jesus has entered into our sorrow and that he has compassion on us. I see Jesus illustrating this compassion through his tears, crying with those who are mourning over the death of Lazarus. Verse 37, and some of them said, Could not this man who opened the eyes of the blind also have kept this man from dying? Point number four. You probably noticed, I'll put it this way, Jesus lovingly waits to respond. It says here, if you were to look back in in chapter 11, what we just read, in verse 3 and in verse 6, I believe, that Jesus loved Lazarus, that he loved Mary, and he loved Martha. So does it make sense to me and you that he would wait? If he loved Lazarus, why did he wait? After he heard of Lazarus being sick, he waited for two days. And then it took him two days to get there. So even if Jesus would have left right away, Lazarus still would have been dead, technically, I guess. But Jesus' waiting is not at odds with his love. I want you to think about yourself for a second don't we usually think of love in terms of quick answers that we want? If somebody loves us, they're going to answer us, 
and they're going to answer us the way that we want them to answer us. Isn't that the way that we naturally think apart from God? We don't usually think in terms of how will this grow me in God? How will this change me? How will this eventually or even eternally work in me in a way? Because the initial request here was for healing, wasn't it? Look back at verse 21. Martha, doesn't she come to Jesus and say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. And then in verse 32, the second half, Mary this time saying, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. So they saw this and they appealed to Jesus based on his love for Lazarus. I want you to think of that. The one whom you love is sick, they said. They think of love in terms of, you wouldn't have let this happen if you would have been here. You would have answered our prayer. But Jesus lovingly waits to respond. Our attitude towards God, our prayer life towards God should not be, if you love me, you will immediately give me what I want. Waiting can't mean love. Or can it? What is better than my way and my timing? God's way and God's timing. So we think in terms of, I've got to have what I want, Lord, instead of in terms of, God, might you change what I want? Might you even change my desires? Or might I even wait for what I desire? So Jesus lovingly waits because he knows there is something for his disciples to learn, for Mary and Martha to learn. So on purpose, he doesn't give them what they want right away. Let's continue to read now. This is verse 38. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb. It's like he's that sin, that death, the sadness, even as Jesus comes to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay against it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the sister of him who was dead, said to him, Lord, by this time there is a stench, for he has been dead four days. Practical Martha, right? Are you still with me? Does that fits what we know about her character? Lord, let me warn you that he's been dead for four days and he won't smell good. Very practical. Jesus said to her, Did I not say to you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Look at how Martha... And I think of Thomas who said, let us go die with him. Look at what roller coasters the disciples are. Earlier, Martha says to Jesus, I know that whatever you ask of the Father, he'll give to you. So she speaks these great words of of faith. Even now, she's speaking words of resurrection. And then Jesus says, roll away the stone. And she says, the corpse will stink. She's up and down. That's so me. One moment trusting in the Lord He really can do anything. The next moment, very practical and reasonable, instructing God about what he should and shouldn't do, warning God about what's what's to come. Jesus saying to her, did I not say to you that if you'd believe, you'd see the glory of God? Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead man was lying. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, 
But because of the people who are standing by, I say this, that they may believe that you have sent me. Now, when he said these things, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Just called him right out. And he who had died came out bound hand and foot with grave clothes, and his face was wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to them, loose him and let him go. Then many of the Jew Jews who had come to Mary and had seen the things Jesus did believed in him. Point number five, topic number five, Jesus asks for faith. I reminded you at the beginning of this study that John writes in order that we may believe. What is Jesus also after? What are the words that Jesus says? Well, look at the end of verse 42, that they may believe that you sent me. Then the last verse, verse 45, many of the Jews, go to the end of, end of the verse, believed in him. So just like the Holy Spirit through the pen of John, Jesus is aiming at faith. Back in 14, verse 14, go there in your Bible. What is Jesus after? Then Jesus said to them plainly, Lazarus is dead, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there that you may believe. At that time, when, when Jesus relayed that statement, I'm glad for you that I wasn't there when Lazarus was sick so that you can have faith. What a confusing statement. Maybe you have a high view of yourself and you think, I would have understood. I would have not understood. Why would that? Are you glad for me that you would not be there so that I would have faith? If you're not there, what am I to have faith in? But look what Jesus is after. Belief. He said to Martha at the end of verse 26, do you believe this? He wants his disciples to believe in him. Yes, salvation, that initial faith, he's after that. But he's also after a deepening of faith, isn't he? Consider this, that their hope was buried in that grave. Their dreams were buried. Their fellowship with their brother was buried in that grave. And reading Lazarus come forth, put your greatest trial, your greatest struggle in that tomb, the situation that seems completely hopeless, gone forever, lost forever. What's more hopeless than death? And Jesus says, my child, come forth. He resurrects. He gives life where there was once nothing but stench, nothing but rottenness. We're unwrapped. We're set free. Jesus is definitely foreshadowing his resurrection, definitely connecting his resurrection to us. And he is saying, if you will believe, you will inherit eternal life. You will never die. That no matter what you go through in this life, you will have me as your anchor. Their hope, in many ways, was buried in that tomb, and Jesus called, opened up, brought back to life again. I think of the words to the hymn, I am thine, O Lord, by Fanny Crosby, and there's a line that says, but I long to rise in the arms of faith and be closer drawn to thee. That right there is Martha in this chapter. 
Because she does say, God will do anything you ask him to do. But then she also says, Lord, the body's going to stink. She, she needs to rise in the arms of faith. That's you and me. Tonight, as we have faith in Jesus, many of you do, but isn't it a deepening of faith? Lord, do I really trust you with my life? Or when my direction for me isn't what I thought it would be, when my plans for me and those that I love aren't going the way that I had always hoped for, isn't that what faith is? Walking by faith, not by sight? It's simple for us to say that we're living by faith when we're not being tested very much. And I realize there's always tests. But when the test comes, that's when we realize, are, are we really trusting God? Or do we have our faith in him only for the small things? I look at Mary and Martha both. They both had faith in Jesus to take away the disease. But they struggled with the faith for resurrection. God was drawing them, speaking to them that he could indeed accomplish this, but they needed an increase in their belief, didn't they? Jesus knew that they needed this because they would soon be facing his death and crucifixion. And he didn't want them to be hopeless. He didn't want them to be fearful. He wanted them to remember what he said, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he were dead, Yet shall he live, and whoever lives and believes in me will live forevermore. And then his question is so clear to Martha, do you believe? You either believe or you don't believe. She says, yes, I believe, but you either believe or you don't. He's a God worth believing in. Lord, we sing these songs to you because we know that we need an increase in our faith. We give this book to others because we know, Lord, that it's written by the hand of your Spirit to build faith, to bring to saving faith. Lord, as we approach on the calendar these days that people celebrate and, and they don't even know what they're about, may we get them into your word. May we point them to the incredible accounts that you have included here for us. Thank you, Jesus, for knowing what your disciples needed. Thank you for knowing what we need. And I pray, Lord, that we would dwell in it richly. In your name, I pray. Amen.